Welcome back. It's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy here. About to give you episode two in season three. Really happy to open up with some content that we're going to be covering today for this season. First time. Last week was a little bit more of a you know welcome back episode, kind of getting back in the swing of things. And today we're jumping right back into the content. So we will be covering Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three today. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. Before we jump into it, I'm going to turn the floor over to Chase to say a few words, and then we'll get after it. Back in the Marvel spaceship, baby. Good stuff. Uh, you know, this is a bit of an emotional one. This is the last time we see the Guardians collectively on screen. So, good stuff, man. Any Anything you want to say before I get us going? Nah, man. I, we, I think we're all going to have some interesting takes on the film as a whole. And that's going to be, you know, I, I, I haven't checked anyone's reviews on it. So everything that I've seen when I watched it is all, you know, fresh filtered and nothing else getting into my head. So there was a lot to say there's things I liked about the movie. There's things that I felt didn't make too much sense. And, you know, I think we're going to get get all the way through that. So Chase is going to bring us through this recap. He's taking the lead here today. Then we're going to kind of talk about a few things afterwards, maybe throw a debate or two out there on it. And, you know, but with that being said, I'll turn the floor over to you, brother. Take us away. Let's get it going, man. First recap of season three. How about we get a malice in the chalice, baby? First official content for season three. Let's yeah, get man. it going. You got Cheers, it, bro. brother. Okay, good stuff. So the movie opens, this is kind of like a funny scene, because you see Star-Lord Peter Quill is kind of still going through it from where we've talked about before on this show. You know, Gamora came back as a different Gamora after, you know, she the original Gamora was uh, thrown off a cliff by Thanos. So he's definitely still kind of going through it, and he's drinking and uh, he's so drunk that they have to carry his body out <laughs> in the very beginning. Um, and then the movie picks up and the Guardians are kind of catching up on this planet. And Adam Warlock, this is the first time we see him on screen. So he, he's kind of like, did you get the vibe? He's kind of more like a Captain Marvel kind of character. Dude, it was weird, man. Like, that's one of the things yeah. I didn't quite understand about this film with the was the whole role of these golden individuals. But, yeah, do you know who he was? He was the kid from uh, We Are the Millers. He was the guy. He yeah, was, that's weird. <laughs> like, I just, I, I, the thing is, I just didn't associate him, seeing him in other productions with a Marvel villain, I guess, at this point in time. And it just, it threw me off, I think, as my own personal bias, I guess. Uh, so I, I, I won't hold it against anything, but... No, I, I agree. It was it was very Marvel-y type of, uh, you know, I don't know, man. Captain Marvel-y type of thing. It had the whole, like, the when he was flying through, it had this sort of colors that would flash very similarly. So, yeah, dude, I definitely understand the, the comparison you made there. Uh, just don't know what the hell to make of this thing. <laughs> yeah, and for those that don't know, like Guardians Volume 2, because this plays into the story here, he was actually in that like tomb thing that you see for like a brief glimpse that was in there and i guess he's been released at this point and we find out a little bit later so he's flying through and he's looking for rocket on this planet who's kind of just grabbing a drink at this time in his rocket way and uh 
he flies through and Nebula and Groot try to fight him off and we see Groot's gotten a little bit bigger too over the years. Well, Adam Warlock tears Groot's head off during this time and this is kind of a shocker moment because you're thinking, oh shit, like this is crazy. But uh, we find out what happens with that a little bit later and Warlock shoots uh, Rocket in the process with his like hand blast and this is kind of what I was saying, like very Captain Marvel-esque here. But Star-Lord and Drax then get in on the fight, but Rocket is really hurt at this point. And then Mantis uh, goes over with Star-Lord to try to get Rocket stable. But, and then while Nebula and Drax try to hold the fight down, but Warlock is so powerful that he just starts wailing on Drax. And I kind of picked up, it was very one of those... John Snow, Ramsey Bolton, Battle of the Bastards moments where he's just wailing on him and, you know, Drax isn't going to get anywhere with this. But Rocket starts to fade in and out of consciousness because he's really hurt here. And you start having visions shown of his past. Um, and you hear it say, stitch him up and put him in the rest of the batch 89. And it's his creator that is telling them this. And this is the person that has made Rocket. And Rocket, in this flashback, is in a cage with these other experiments that are going on and these animals that they're experimenting on, and they all have these prosthetic limbs. So the Guardians, during this process of trying to get, um, of trying to get Rocket stable, notice that there's this kill switch that's inside of him, and his code that he's even referred to as is 89P13. And uh, they need to get to Oracle Corp to get this code. And um, Rocket is having visions because he's fading in and out of consciousness of his friends in this cage. And it's a weasel, seal, and a rabbit. And during this time, this battle is still going on with Warlock that's there, Adam Warlock. And he reports to Rocket's creator. Um, and, that, and then the creator is saying, find 89P13. But um, during this time, of course, they fight off Warlock uh, at this point, and he gets stabbed through the back, and Warlock returns. And um, Rocket's creator is torturing Adam Warlock and tells the leader that's in the group, which is Warlock's mother, um, that they need to find him. And the leader that's Adam Warlock's mother is blaming this on Warlock's incompetence because they've removed him from his cocoon early, which refers back to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, where you saw a little bit of a glimpse there. But then we move forward in the film, and the guardianship is stopped. And it's stopped by this group that we've seen in the past called the United Ravengers, who's led by Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Very interesting group of people here. Not quite sure what to think of these guys. But then the big surprise is who gets off the ship. Because you kind of wonder where she's been the whole time. And it's Gamora. The Gamora that's currently here. Not the Gamora we remember from the past. Which is, uh, in my opinion, the much nicer person. <laughs> Anyways, so Sylvester Stallone... Uh, what's his? Did you pick up on his name? I just always think Rocky Balboa every time I see this guy. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't pick up on his name. 
it's just he played such an insignificant role in it that I didn't even think it was important. It just it was such a weird cameo, right? I, you know, I, I, on a side note, not to detract, like, you know, to take us off track too much, but I'm just curious how much they paid him for, like, 10 seconds of screen time, or <laughs> like a minute and a half of screen time, whatever he was on there for. Like, it just <laughs> it just seemed kind of interesting, you know, to just pop pop in there. It, it came out of nowhere. Uh, but, yeah, no, dude, uh, it, it was cool, but uh, I don't know his name to answer your question. I just felt like he was very insignificant for this film. Like, what was the point of that? I have no idea. That's kind of my th- what I was saying is that you're gonna bring in this box office actor. Sylvester Stallone is really well known. You know, it, it, it probably costs a lot. If you're gonna bring him in, at least bring him in as a as a main for something or someone who's really really significant who makes multiple appearances on screen. Unless you and they're, unless they are planning on doing a, an additional spinoff where they follow along the the scavengers and you know like later <laughs> down the road, who fucking knows? But. Yeah, dude, I I have no answer for you, man. I don't know what the whole point of him being there was. <laughs> oh yeah, just for the audience, they were called the Ravengers, but they should have been called the Scavengers because it was very weird how they just showed up and collecting everyone's shit. Speaking of collecting, so they actually drop off a collection here. Their point is, they're actually were called by Nebula at this point. So because Wait, real group- quick, I just looked it up. So his character's name in the movie was uh, Starhawk. So Stacker Ogord or Starhawk, that is his uh, character name. What is their deal with fucking Star in this Guardians of the Galaxy universe? I feel like you put Star in front of it and they just think it's cool. I feel like the next one that's going to show up is... <laughs> it's Star Queen. <laughs> I have no idea, man. I don't know. Who knows? Very weird. Very strange. But uh, so moving on here. So the whole point is Nebula has actually called them in secret and they show up to actually help out a bit. They provide these uniforms so that the group can go uh, basically infiltrate the area they need to go to in Oracle Corp to get the code to save Rocket against and not be caught by the guards, which are referred to by uh, as you know, as um, Jay Nelly calls them the scavengers, I call them the ravengers. <laughs> the Orgo Sentries is what the guards are called that are at Oracle Corp. Then we have this next flashback shown of Rocket's creator again. Um, and he is showing Rocket, being referred to as 89P13, shows him this counter earth that he is building. And Rocket actually sees like a rocket in the sky at this point and is seeing like the blue earth and at this point um, then rockets creator shows him different creatures that he has been experimenting on to provide evolutionary changes and a turtle at this point that they're trying to make more uh, more genius uh, more intelligent actually turns into a monster during this process and begins banging on the glass almost like the incredible hulk in a way and the creator tells rocket that they were producing a protein on accident that is causing them to turn violent and rocket 89p13 tells his creator that this filtration system that's at the bottom is causing it to suppress a mechanism which is causing the alternative protein to make in the words of rocket angry turtles which rocket is kind of more like a child at this point in time and he his creator is shocked that he was able to figure that out 
and they've been trying to figure this out for quite some time. Then we go back to Star-Lord, and he tries to remind Gamora of her past and that their relationship before, and he says that the person that she is now is not like her. She says, uh, I don't think so, Quinn, like referring to that's not her anymore. And they kind of go back and forth for a minute, and I think he's kind of starting to get to realize, you know, once again, this isn't the Gamora he has known from before. So then the Guardians go on this journey, and they break into Oracle Corp and wind up getting the code to override Rocket's kill switch. This was kind of weird because they go into this decompression chamber and these cameras are actually eyeballs. It kind of made me think of someone like, maybe, I don't know if you remember the show The Magic School Bus back in the day where they actually go into like a human body. It kind of reminded me of that. I don't know. What do you think when you saw this moment here? Bro, that was a perfect comparison, honestly. The Magic School Bus when they would go inside. Because I was thinking the whole thing is kind of gross. You see intestine-like shit. You see eyeballs like sticking out. It was nasty. He's all squishy and like squelchy. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this shit, man? But... Yeah, no, I think that was a really cool comparison. I, I would, I, you put it better than than I could have thought on my own with that. That's it is kind of very very similar to the feel that I got from it. Yeah, it was very weird. I, I don't know. I, I, I we'll get into that later. I don't quite know what my thoughts are on this whole thing. Anyways, so they infiltrate this area, and all of a sudden the Orgo sentries get called because there's been an intrusion alert so these orgo sentries with their like leader show up and start questioning them and star lord convinces him them that they are part of the orgo sentries because this whole play on drax continues throughout this movie where he convinces him that drax is incompetent which we kind of learn later he's not exactly incompetent but common sense I would probably make the argument, yeah, he, he lacks there sometimes. So the Orco sentries believe it because their leader's like, oh, I got one of them too. And then they wind up leaving, and everyone's mad at Mantis because during this time, she's really proving her lack of common sense because the whole spacesuits that they had to breathe in outer space, she threw down basically the contamination chamber which is like throws it outside and is the trash bin basically so they have no more spacesuits and then star lord they go into the main room and he tries to pull off his charm with this pink alien girl i didn't get her name what was her name i i have no idea what it was i just called her pink alien girl yeah what's really funny too is that he even pronounced her name wrong because she corrected him but uh i i don't remember off the top of my head uh, i think it was ah dude it's like yuda or something from what i remember i have no idea uh we'll just call her yeah. pink alien <laughs> let me know if you find her name i couldn't you know i'm not the best with names on this show so um but anyways he tries to like finesse her to get to the code you know talk her up a little bit um Finally, Gamora gets sick of it. Once again, reiterating to the fact this is not the Gamora we know from before. She puts a gun to this girl's head, <laughs> demanding the code, basically taking her hostage. Like, she's going to blow her head off <laughs> unless they get this code. So, of course, then they go into the room, and then Star-Lord starts arguing with Gamora, saying, 
<laughs> like, you know, this isn't, we don't usually do this. And then Gamora says, look, whoever you were in love with, it doesn't sound like me. It sounds more like her. And <laughs> points at Nebula. Nebula. And this is a pretty funny scene because Star-Lord kind of, I guess he's in the moment where he kind of misses a relationship. And he looks at Gamora and Nebula and looks at Nebula and just stops for a minute. She says, don't look at me like that, like you're a lost puppy dog. And he goes, oh, sorry, I just never noticed how pretty your eyes were. And Nebula, referring back to Avengers Endgame, my father replaced my eyes with these ones as a method of torture. And Peter Quill says, well, he picked out a pretty set. <laughs> That's awesome. Talk about like trying to jump back on the line and save yourself and totally redeemed yourself, my friend. Picked out a pretty set. I thought that was pretty good. So the Oracle sentries come in and then Mantis has to use her mind powers to have like some of the Oracle guards like fight off the other guards and stop like the citizens from trying to like take them uh, hostage and capture them. But they make their way to the elevator, and Star-Lord's boo-hooing again, you know. Jay and Ellie always talk about boo-hooing, and I. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Anyways, and he's like, I'm just the guy that fell in love with a girl, and then that girl died and came back a total dick. <laughs> that was pretty funny. So, anyways, then the elevator opens up, kind of like a scene from Jurassic Park. You know, on the other side, you have, like, all the velociraptors waiting on you. In this scene, it's all the oracle sentries are, like, waiting on them as the elevator opens. So they fight their way through the next room, but Drax gets shot as he's telling them to run because they're so overrun with people. Another oracle sentry shoots Drax again in the back and Nebula. And then they're getting commanded to stay on the ground. And Star-Lord is begging this pink alien girl at this time to launch, basically like launch this code that's there and, and let him take over the system. So she does. And then he, he just says, told you she was into me. Ha ha, LOL. But he launches this anti-gravity system and it pushes all of these oracle sentries in the air so the group is making it away scot clean i thought it was pretty cool pretty interesting i guess kind of saw it coming but i'll take it so <laughs> then we have another flashback here because remember rocket's still uh, kind of fading away at this point so he's with his friends in a cage dreaming about reaching the outside and we're seeing it in rocket's history and they talk about their new names and this is cool because we've always kind of wondered this like all through the history of the MCU. So the weasel in the group tells she would like to be called Lila. And the seal says he wants to be called Teeth because he has these big teeth <laughs> from his like animal parts. And, and then the rabbit on the floor, she was lying on the floor and says, I would like to be called Floor because she's lying on the floor. And then we get to 89P13. So one thing, which... too, I want to talk about mm -hmm. that just for a second, just because there was some cool symbolism there. So floor in Spanish means flower. So I thought it was kind of pretty. Not, not just like the floor you stand on, but floor is spelled F-L-O-R in Spanish, and it means flower. And then also the uh, the it's actually a walrus, not a seal, because walruses are the ones that have the tusks. 
And oh, he, sorry, yeah. my bad. Yeah, <laughs> walrus. My bad, guys. <laughs> yeah, he wanted to be called Teeth, like T E E F. Like it's like instead of teeth, it's like teeth with like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. And then yeah, so but I agree with you. It was really nice to see the origin of, of some of these. But I'll let you continue on into our our favorite guy here uh, from the Guardians. Yep. A hundred percent, man. Now I know not to, you know, go into like animal care or anything. I'd be like, where's the seals at today? They're like, well, you're scheduled with the walruses. So (laughs) anyways, yeah. So hundred percent. But then, yeah, we see Rocket, well, 89P13. And uh, Rocket says, I want to make machines that fly into the beautiful sky. And remember, he saw that rocket from before with his creator that we saw. And he says, and me, Rocket. And that's the first time we hear the name Rocket. So you know where we got that. And I thought it was cool. So um, then we go back to the group. And they're looking at Rocket's file. And they've removed it from Oracle Corp. But the pass key has been removed. And then they, Gamora tells the group, the high evolutionary so now we know this guy's name created rocket and has solely created societies and people consider him god and he is not someone to be messed with nebula then notices that a member of the high evolutionary's group most likely downloaded the pass key to this like mechanical what would you call it it was like a mechanical file that was on top of his head or something yeah, I would call it a, a, a hard drive. Right? It almost like a hard drive. Maybe an external hard drive that's attached to this dude's head. Almost like a cyborg-looking thing. I guess a, a cyborg. If you guys have ever seen uh, Teen Titans, remind me of cyborg with the little the metal part on the side of the head. There, I think that it was a, a, some sort of hard drive, external, internal, whatever you want to call it. Because if it was part of his body, I guess somewhat internal, even though you can see it externally. Regardless, I, I, I consider it a hard drive. 100%. Great analogy there. <laughs> Great point with that Teen Titans, man. Took me back. Uh, so Gamora, you know, you would think everyone's on board. Once again, reminding everyone it's not the same Gamora. She tells Peter she doesn't give a shit about the situation. And is basically is not on board to going and finding the code to save Rocket at this point. And uh, even, like, tries to punch him at one point, And Nebula stops it. And, um, and, and Nebula basically tells her, you know, Rockets is part, as much part of our family as everyone else here. And they're going to save him just because it's in her inconvenience. They're not going to, like, not do this mission. So then we go back to uh, we have Warlock and his mother in a room that, like, vaporizes a member of the Ravengers or the Scavengers, as Jane Nelly calls them. And um, then his mother, uh, which is like the leader of them two, takes the communicator of the guy he just vaporized and then impersonates that person and is talking to Gamora on the other end. And Gamora is thinking she is talking to the Ravengers or Scavengers and gives them the coordinates to pick her up. So, oh shit, here we go. Not sure why she's not smart enough to figure that out. <laughs> That's not the guy she's talking to. Whatever. I'm going to ride with it. I'm going to ride with it. So at this point, then Drax is talking to Star-Lord. This is very interesting, and it provides a full circle moment later. So Drax tells Star-Lord this analogy as he's eating Zargnuts, and he says, 
the world is like a pond. You need to learn to swim. And in my mind, this was him basically telling him, you know, stop holding on to Gamora. You need to branch out. But uh, that plays a big role later on. So then we have another flashback that's shown of the high evolutionary that's questioning Rocket on how he knew how to fix the turtle that turned into the monster earlier. And he said it's uh, because he realizes that the experiment on Rocket was the only one that actually worked to make him intelligent and understanding. And the high evolutionary data uh, is going to this new world, but Rocket has to stay because he is supposed to help other evolutionary projects because Rocket was thinking he would go to this new world and be able to be free. And he basically tells him, like, no, absolutely not, but I will study your brain. And he commands his guards to basically remove Rocket's brain in the morning, kill him, and they'll study it, and then also dispose of his body and dispose of his friends that are in the cage and kill them too. And so then we go back to the Guardians, and they arrive on what's called Counter-Earth, which is the Earth we were seeing earlier that the High Evolutionary is creating with the other aliens there. and looks just like Earth with people. Star-Lord arrives and says they mean no harm, but this little cute, adorable fox girl, I call her the fox girl, she like pushes a little ball towards Drax, and Drax, not being using any common sense here, smashes her with the ball, and they all freak out. Like, so much for that coming in peace thing, man. Bro, it just that was... Gets- that yeah, was so funny when they got off that spaceship. Because, like, in his mind, he was playing, too, and he just threw it back there. I didn't realize he's a beast. And that, <laughs> so, like, that, that's just so funny. The whole civilization just trying to take stock of if these guys are going to be good. So everyone's on there, like, basically walking on glass, like, just really tiptoeing. And it's just a kind of like a, a trying to figure out how we're gonna go from here this fucking guy just ruins it by launching the ball smacks this child in the face with it <laughs> knocks her right out and the rest of the civilization's like what the fuck dude these guys suck like it was so funny bro like it was awesome and then it just escalated from there because then you had Groot turned into a monster when like the citizens are freaking out getting scared like attacking them so it just looked even worse man it looked even worse it was getting out of control Finally, you know, Star-Lord clears it up when a, uh, a lady, like, scrapes her knee and he hands her a cloth to wipe her knee. And she kind of gets the idea, okay, maybe these guys aren't as bad as we thought they were. But definitely, you know, it's kind of like meeting the parents for the first time. It just was not a good first impression is what it was. So they get there and the group is in the alien house. First of all, Drax sucks. Like, no manners at all. He's, like, laying all over their couch and shit. Anyways, uh, they wound up communicating through this shitty drawing that Peter Quill does. It looked like a stick figure practically, but it had the guy's like metal hard drive on it. So she recognized it and then pointed to where they should go that the high evolutionary would be so that this way they can find that code to save Rocket. Or not the high evolutionary, but the guy that would have that hard drive at this point so they can get the code to save Rocket. 
So Star-Lord and Nebula leave, and they say that Mantis and Drax need to stay there. Well, you have the first F-bomb that ever happens in the MCU ever. I thought it was kind of funny. She's trying to open the door, and he just goes, open the fucking door. And like, I thought it was funny, but like, I don't know. I don't know if it played the way they thought. I think they thought it would be hilarious, and it was just kind of like, oh. Okay, so she opened the car door. So she did. <laughs> so they get going, right? And then at this point, we go back to Gamora, and she's on the ship by herself, and she's drinking, and she's watching Rocket suffer, and she says, wow, you must be a really loyal pet if they're willing to do all this for you. Then we shoot back over to Star-Lord and Nebula, and they arrive at the place of the High Evolutionary, and they're greeted by these two guards that are like the experiments. They have these prosthetic limbs. One's war pig, so this big like pig, and the other one was like a like a half bionic bird thing. It was like a hawk thing or something. But um, the war pig says, looks at Nebula and says, she stays here, policies against weaponry. And he points at her arm because her arm is a gun. And he says, the high evolutionary has been expecting you. And Nebula looks over at Star-Lord and says, see, I knew it was a trap. And Star-Lord said, no, it's not a trap. It's a face-off. And then we have another flashback where it shows Rocket and his friends are, are, are there in that spaceship. And he's got the key to their cage to release them. And he tells them they're going to kill us all in the morning. But there's a ship down the hallway, and if I can get to that ship, then I can pilot it, and then we will all fly away together, just like we said, okay? And then Rocket unlocks the cage, and Lila steps out, and the High Evolutionary shoots her through the back and says, yes, I imagined you would do something like that, P-13. And then Lila looks at Rocket and says, the sky, and Rocket begins to break down in tears as the high evolutionary is calling for assistance and rocket freaks out and is attacking the high evolutionary scratching his face to shreds and if you've been watching you see if you look closely on the high evolutionary's face he's got this like plastic face here and this is kind of this kind of explains why he has this plastic face on the side and rocket freaks out and scratching his face to shreds and then a gun goes off and rocket looks back and all his friends in the cage are dead and this is a very kind of emotional moment rocket then runs to the ship and then attempts to escape and we go back to drax and mantis so drax and mantis are attempting to leave counter earth on this dirt bike <laughs> that they found um and then at this point star lord back to him he approaches the man that they finally see with the hard drive connected to his head and demands the pass key. The war pig at this point is commanded to leave and then the war pig goes up to where Rocket and Gamora are and attempts to grab Rocket and take off with him. But Gamora, after, I don't know why they showed this, she has to use the restroom and comes out and has a gun and just says, drop the badger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, good. yeah, got to give her some props here. Then we're back to the High Evolutionary, and he asks Star-Lord how he liked Counter-Earth. And Star-Lord said, well, newsflash, 
but Earth does not include octopuses selling meth to cockroach heads. <laughs> there was like a small scene before where you saw like they're kind of doing like drug dealing and gambling and stuff going on. So definitely some shady stuff, kind of like, you know, how you see some crime going on in today's world. But the high evolutionary, the sick motherfucker he is, he goes, you're right. That's why I will have to erase it and start again. Maybe he's just going to kill all the innocent people down there. And then you have Adam Warlock flies to his mother leader. Then we're back over to Mantis and Drax, who arrived in Nebula, uh, where they were. She was where the guards were. And we see the high evolutionary building that he was in lifts off, and it's actually a ship with everyone in it. And then the guy with the mechanism, I didn't get his name. Did he have a name? The guy with the hard drive attaches. I just call him guy with the hard drive. That's his name now. <laughs> his name is guy with the hard drive. So he says, it's amusing, really. It was so obvious it was a trap. And Star-Lord said, it's not a trap. It's a face-off. And uh, Groot pulls out like six arms with guns that were contained in secret the whole time and is facing everybody and star lord throws a bomb that explodes inside the ship with everyone in it star lord goes out the window with the guy with the hard drive and the guy with the hard drive says you will kill us both and star lord says not both and Groot grows some tree wings <laughs> like a fucking bird, like an eagle. Fly like an eagle into the sea, baby. Fuck yeah. <laughs> he grabs Star-Lord while he's got the guy with the hard drive underneath him and then glides into the ground. But the guy with the hard drive that he's holding plows into the ground drives him all the way into the pond forward and he drowns inside the pond well they remove the hard drive and success mission successful but at this point drax breaks down the door to the spaceship as they're entering space so they're in the wrong place and then drax sees alien kids on a cage and and they're gonna they attempts to break them out so Star-Lord gets back to revive Rocket and upload the code and stop the kill switch as Rocket begins to fade to the light. Rocket sees Lila. This part reminded me a lot of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows when Harry was with Albus Dumbledore. So anyway, so Rocket's like fading. and with, uh, Me, personally, I was kind of worried here. I thought this was, you know, Rocket's endgame, <laughs> really, at this moment. And uh, he sees Lila. Gamora tells Peter the code isn't working fast enough. And then um, Lila, uh, Rocket asks if he can go with Lila um, and, and go with her to see the friends. Because he begins to see like all his friends with her. And he starts to hit the flat line, Rocket does. And Peter is screaming at this point. And then Lila... As he's walking forward, and she's like, of course you can come with us. She puts her hand on Rocket's chest and stops him walking forward and says, but not yet. You still have a purpose here. 
and then it says there are she says there are the hands that made us and then there are the hands that guide the hands my beloved raccoon the story has been yours all along you just didn't know it so it's interesting thinking about this whole guardian's journey we've had all these years it's really been developing with the rocket and how he's progressed as a person and if you think about it too i mean think about the first guardians how he would get drunk all the time and he was really had kind of like bad history of his past that was bothering him to where he got close uh to his friends and we even saw him in in endgame remember where he's telling thor like he's like suck it up <laughs> you know there's a lot of people that are dead and then there's a lot of people that are not dead and but we can help the people that are not dead and now you're kind of starting to see wow rocket's really been through a lot here he really connects with that like that actually makes sense and one thing too to add to this is something that was said a little bit earlier in the film was when they got an idea when they looked into uh that file and saw rocket's past i'm talking like peter quill gamora nebula and all them and they saw their past like wow like why did he never tell us and they obviously he had so much pain and and uh, negative memories associated it, it was easier for him just to keep it to himself so this whole time they had no idea why he was so angry and kind of like a dick all the time and once they saw everything that his childhood consisted of it, it made sense to your point where, where you're going with it now so uh yeah that's definitely something i wanted to bring up too and i uh actually found this out by um reading in an interview and this makes sense now so all this time where you've seen like in guardians one and in Infinity War, where Rocket wants prosthetic limbs, according to uh, James Gunn, that directed this film, he said, I don't know if they just wrote this in, but I thought it was very interesting. He said the reasons he's been doing that this whole time was because in Rocket's mind, he deep down wants to remind himself of the friends he had in the past with the prosthetic limbs. And I thought that's really interesting if they wanted to connect it that way. So I thought that was really cool for a full circle moment there. So, yeah, that's actually really interesting. I never heard that, but it makes it a lot, it makes a lot more sense now. And all those things he says really funny. Oh, I'm going to get that arm. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm going to get that arm. Yeah. Remember you the, like, took Thor's the eyeball? Eye. Yep. <laughs> that's oh, so that's funny, so dude. That's really crazy. Now you think about that, that's a really great point that you brought up that I didn't, I didn't see the correlation and I'm glad you saw that interview because I'm, I'm sure there's other people out there that haven't realized that either or made the connection. Yeah. I didn't even know it until I watched the interview. And I was like, wow, that's that. If that was really truly their point all these years ago, I don't know if they just wrote that in, but that's uh, but wow. That really makes his uh, character backstory really powerful there um, where we've grown with him all these years. So um, then, you know, at this point, Rocket says, though, to Lila, I'm not a raccoon. And it bounces him back, and he's come back to the light, and Rocket is alive. Uh, Nebula then contacts Star-Lord, and they hear Nebula say that there are kids on the ship. And as he's telling her, Rocket is alive. Then the High Evolutionary shows up and demands the kids be back in their cages and says, So you like to joust, will you? I'm sending you the coordinates of all your friends, and they will all die unless you bring me what is mine, <laughs> referring to Rocket 89B13. So basically, you know, now 
High Evolutionary has Drax and Mantis, whereas they have Rocket. So we're playing a little bit of chicken here. So the kids are in the cage across from Drax. Nebula and Mantis uh, are at, looking at the kids and they're like scaring them. And the kids are crying and they're like, jube, 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 because they speak a different language. And this is where you kind of get a little bit of respect from Drax because you just think he's kind of incompetent <laughs> this whole time. And they were kind of arguing about that too. Like, it's his fault they were up there. Like, he's so stupid. Like, he doesn't think things through, right? Well, Drax, it turns out, he speaks their language and he starts making what he calls was monkey noises but sounds like a duck showing some of his incompetence again. But um, he tells them basically how to escape and get them out of that situation. But then while Gamora on the ship with Peter hands him a picture of a kid when he was with, was that his mom and dad or grandparents that were in that picture there that she handed him? I know that they I thought were, it was his parents or something. I don't know about the picture itself, but I do know they were talking about his grandfather earlier in the film and how his grandfather must be close to 90 or, or, or that. So I don't know if that picture showed the grandfather or maybe it was a picture of his the last time he saw his parents. But I do know that in the beginning, and obviously what we'll talk about coming up here not too, too long, uh, but the grandfather is was it seemed to be like the more integral part because his parents had died you know he watched his parents die mm -hmm. as part of the story right right so i don't know if that picture was his grandparents or his parents i'm gonna assume that the picture was his parents but uh yeah i don't know i think it was like maybe the parents he like his maybe it was his grandpa and like grandmother at the time or something but either way it's a picture of him on earth with two people from on earth so anyways, uh, then we're back to the high evolutionary and he commands that people activate the hell spawn and kill everyone. And then Adam Warlock is being held hostage on the surgical chair. Then Star-Lord, Rocket and Gamora begin to fire at these enemy robots that are released from this hell spawn that are flying towards them. And then the high evolutionary com commands Adam Warlock's mother to open this pit. And in the pit where Mantis and Drax now are, these obelisks in Nebula are, these obelisks appear. And they look like these big pink alien monsters, almost like from Return of the Jedi or something. Is that how you would describe these things? Yeah, or that one uh, Stephen King movie, like Tremors, I think, the, like, the thing that, that kind of yeah. was like that too, man. Yeah, they were creepy looking. Yeah, that's what they reminded me of. But then Adam Warlock, he breaks out and begins destroying the flying robots and kind of helping out the group here. Uh, uh, and then Star-Lord and Gamora then crash land, and then they're, like, laying on each other almost. And they kind of have this moment where you think maybe they'll kind of have some sort of spark here. And they almost kiss, but Rocket lands the ship. Then back to Mantis, she takes control of the obelisk with her mind powers, kind of like how she did with Thanos back in Infinity War. And now they control these big obelisks. So, and then Yondu's predecessor. So we saw him kind of in the beginning a little bit. I didn't go too much into that, but he has this like metal fin from where Yondu in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 died. And he had that arrow where you like whistle and it kills people. As these robots are attacking the city, 
Yondu's predecessor whistles and like kind of taps into his inner Yondu powers. And you kind of have that like Ray moment where she heard like Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan's voice, all that stuff. But it's Yondu's voice and he like just feels kind of the guardian's force in a way and kills all these robots with the arrow. So, and uh, Yondu's voice says, use your heart, boy. And he saves the day in the city there. So then the high evolutionary is informed that the ship is going to crash, but he demands the mission continue. So his people begin to try to overthrow him and take over the ship. But the high evolutionary then explodes in the room with his powers showing his force and he's not going to take no shit and then takes it over. So, <coughs> excuse me there. Anyways, <clears throat> so then the high evolutionary commands people to get P9813 and kill the rest of the group and all the intruders on board. Then Mantis, Drax, and Nebula burst through this wall with obelisks and encounter rocket star lord and gamora which kind of changes the plan because they were there to actually save uh, drax mantis and gamora so then gamora tells the group if they don't want to die they need to leave now and rocket says i'm done running and then you have no sleep till brooklyn plays baby as the group just kicks fucking ass going room by room here so rocket and the group kick open the door it just reminds me like kick in the door be on the core core so they just bust in there you have it's just a sleigh fest so they're shooting everyone down in the room rocket runs across Groot's arm almost like tarzan from the disney movie star lord is throwing an electric magnet electrocuting people while Drax is throwing knives and ripping out body parts, body parts, Gamora cuts an octopus monster limb from limb with her sword, and then you have Adam Warlock that arrives out of nowhere, but then passes out. And then the group begins to transport kids off the ship, but Rocket sees there's more experiments in cages, and it takes him back because he sees they're like little raccoons, almost reminding him of himself. And he sees what labels them. And it says raccoons. So we see he's starting to embrace what he's labeled as. And then the high evolutionary full circle moment, like from the beginning where he was outside his cage with his friends, intercepts him, throws rocket around the room. And the high evolutionary says, how dare you think you are more than an abomination 89P13. But Rocket grabs a gun from his leg as he falls to the ground and says, The name's Rocket. And then says, Raccoon. And fires the gun, shoots the high evolutionary, and Rocket's friends come in. Gamora, Nebula, Mantis, Drax enter the room from behind, kick ass. Gamora stabs him and administers the final blow as she peels back his face and see it's a mask where rocket scratched him to bits to just as it scratched him to bits earlier and it was nasty bro to the me told, it yeah, looked go for a, it. the <laughs> visual of his face after 
the peeled piece of flesh was removed reminded me a lot of Harvey Dent if the full face was like that from like Two Face yeah. that in the in the Batman movie. It really did. That was it was super gross, but uh, kind of cool visual to see. Absolutely. So then uh, the group transports all the experiments as the ship is exploding. And, you know, you have all of them. You have all the experiments over there that are coming through. And then as they're going there, uh, so Star-Lord can't make the jump. And you think, you start to wonder if Star-Lord's going to die because he doesn't make the jump from the ship to the other ship. Gets caught in space, begins to swell up. But Adam Warlock saves the day. Didn't see that one coming. (laughs) But, yeah, saves the day. And then Groot says, I am Groot to Gamora. And she's shocked here. We're kind of wondering why. And, uh, and, and, and Gamora says, thanks, it was good working with you too. And then Gamora sees Peter and says, I'm still not who you want me to be. And Peter says, but who you are isn't so bad. And Gamora says, I bet we were fun. And Star-Lord says, like you wouldn't believe. And Star-Lord decided to leave and says, I need to take some time to learn how to swim. Coming back to that full circle analogy that Drax told him, he needed to swim and go outside the pond and, you know, expand his horizons, right? And Mantis then decides she wants to find out what she wants, and then Nebula and Drax decide to stay together and lead the city city together. Well, Star-Lord looks at Rocket uh, and says, the group... So Rocket is saying, so I guess that's it then. Like, the Guardians are over. And Star-Lord looks at Rocket and says, the group still needs its Guardians. You will make a better leader than I ever was captain. And this is funny because Rocket was never really considered to be the new captain because even going back into the end of Endgame, when you had Thor and you had Peter Quill that were arguing who would be captain all this time. And now we're seeing the new leader of the Guardians is going to be Rocket, someone that we never really expected to be. And rightfully so. He was there when everyone was blipped, you know, from the stones. And he was uh, taking orders from uh, Black Widow. So I think he's earned his spot here and helping Thor, you know. And then Groot says, I love you guys. And finally, we understand Groot as an audience. And this is full circle moment because all these years, all we've heard is, I am Groot. I am Groot. And this is uh, homage to just like how Gamora understood him. Now we understand him as an audience because we're so close to Groot and we understand what he's saying. What really is just saying, I am Groot the whole time. So I thought that was a really cool moment there. Um, and then at this point, you know, you have that song like Dog Days Are Over. They're dancing off kind of really like a sad moment in a way. And they're all kind of going their separate ways. Gamora goes back to Sylvester Stallone and the Ravengers. So, you know, she's not the same Gamora as she was. Peter arrives back on Earth uh, with his grandfather that's there on Earth. And I guess in uh, he's kind of shocked at first because I guess he has like a caretaker there wondering if he's there and uh, he's there still. And then uh, it shows you have this mid credit scene as the credits are going on. 
and Rocket is with the new group, and it consists of Adam Warlock. Uh, I said the kid from the cage. <laughs> that sounds so wrong. It's the girl that was on the ship trapped, who I guess she has like powers or something. I guess doesn't really matter. You got Yondu's predecessor, is what I call it. The guy with the fin with the arrow. Yeah, his name's Craglin, by the way. The guy with the arrow. What's his name's Craglin. Craglin. Yeah. Okay. You know, you should know this by now, guys. If I'm leading the recap, you know I'm not good with names, so we're just going to go by what. Let's go by the description. <laughs> anyways, anyways. Uh, so then we have the. Then also that was next to Yondu's predecessor, Craglin, the whole time. I didn't really go too much into because it's not as important. Also, using like, using yeah. the wrong term. Predecessor is something that came before. Like, that's why the pre is in front oh, okay. of it. You're looking at successor. Su- successor. There guess, you go. Right? Exactly. Successor. Yeah, successor. There you go. Wouldn't that be funny? Maybe he jumped through time. <laughs> he was originally before and then came after. <laughs> Anyways, so Yondu's the person that took over Yondu's role. Then you had this, like, alien dog that I didn't go too much into, but, like, talks. It's like a talking dog with an astronaut suit on. That's basically what it is. And then you have Groot, who's grown a little bit more here. And it kind of reminded me of, like, the stampede in Lion King. All of a sudden, there's, like, this stampede of blue aliens coming at them. And uh, Rocket leaves the show and is basically like, let's take care of business. And then after all the credits are over, you have this after credit scene. Star-Lord is shown with his grandpa eating cereal. In the newspaper, you can see it says Kevin Bacon was kidnapped by aliens. That's a little Easter egg hint. To if you saw the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, you can watch it on Disney+. Plus. Basically, for fun, they like kidnap Kevin Bacon because he wants a Christmas present and stuff. Not really important. But the big end here is after all this is over, it cuts off, and then in white letters, you see it says, Star-Lord will return, and the movie ends. What are your takes on the film? Uh, to Yeah, kind of given thought to what I said before, there's things I liked about it and things that kind of left me scratching my head, and things I'm just like, really? That's what we went with? So, look, there was, there was a lot of cool things. What I really enjoyed what the movie did is it really drew an emotional connection to the majority of the characters. So this whole, it was, it was dark. Like, the animal cruelty stuff was dark, man. Like, it was tough to watch in certain, in certain times. And because of that, I think that is an uh, aspect this movie took advantage of that other movies could probably emulate. And it really drew an emotional connection to Rocket. Like, you, you, might, you might have liked him before regardless, but now knowing his backstory and losing all his friends kind of becoming this uh, afterthought like they were just going to kill him off and take his brain and study it and you know to where he is today it, it, it was crazy and in a good way anyway, so it was crazy in a good way so that's, that's something that we really haven't seen Marvel do before and I think they really capitalized on, on that so that was really cool I really enjoyed that I did think some of the action scenes were kind of cool as well one of the things I was going to say too is that um, when Towards the end, when Star Lord basically died in space, he he did everything he could to get over across to the ship. There was some sick things he was doing. He ended up breaking off a hose, like spraying it that way to push his body forward. I was like, dang, like that was kind of slick, man. Like that was kind of cool. Uh, one thing we didn't really go into detail on 
Not that it matters, but the whole reason Adam Warlock switched sides is because his mother was blown up on that planet. He got to her just, at, and he yeah. watched his own mother get exploded uh, on that planet when everything was kind of blowing up and houses were, and the, the planet was getting destroyed as the ship was leaving it. So that was the whole point of Adam Warlock joining, I don't want to say joining the Guardians at that time, but, but making the switch from taking one side to the other side. I think that was a catalyst moment is when his mother... Uh, was blown up in front of his face and realized that was you know the high evolutionary's fault for destroying the planet. So it was weird because he initially, yeah. yeah, he initially went to that planet to get the raccoon and bring it back to the high evolutionary, and that's when you know they had that whole thing in the ship with Gamora and, and Adam Warlock and all that. So and that's something that we kind of like glossed over, but definitely important. But in terms of my takeaways, to continue on with some of the things that I, I noticed that. You know that, that I thought like again were good, and things that needed like changing. I do thought it was kind of cool where Nebula and Gamora kind of switched roles in a full circle in a way, because remember when Gamora was the other Gamora, she was kinder and she fell in love with Peter Quill and and all that. Nebula was kind of the cold-hearted sister, the one that was the weapon and not really there's no emotion to her at all. And then you had that flip where like now like, Nebula's no, these guys are family. And even like Peter Quill started to look at Nebula differently in that really fun moment where he said, like, Yeah, really pretty eyes. Like, like, you know what I mean? So it was interesting how they switched. Now Gamora's like the cold, reserved, closed off weapon and Nebula's kind of more of a uh, has a human emotion attached to her. So I thought that was really cool how they how they built that in was really impressed with that uh and there is another thing too just talking about creating the perfect world the high evolutionary's ideal you know he played god in a way uh just when that we realized that things were still kind of how they were on earth and that perfection doesn't exist you know they we, we saw homeless people on, on counter earth we saw crime happening on counter-earth, gambling in the streets on counter-earth. So I thought that was pretty cool to just realize that perfection is unattainable. At least that's the gist I got out of out of that. And another one too, I thought, like, this is one of the things, like, to get into things that bothered me a little bit, These are some of the, those were some of the things I really enjoyed about the film. Some of the things that bothered me a little bit, I just didn't really, I, I didn't care for when Gamora was on that radio and talking to who she thought was her own people and somehow they tricked she haven't talked to those people enough like you know I don't know how long she was with the Ravagers yeah. or whatever but like all the, they didn't even try to change their own voice to like match it they, no it was just the other dude's voice I would get it if that person had the ability to mask his voice and sound just like the person they killed but the it, it was just another person's voice on tower she's like oh yeah here's the coordinates man no problem i was like what <laughs> the fuck is that but that <laughs> that really annoyed me a little bit another thing like all this, these new abilities that group just be sprouting from the sky with his wings here what was up with these these <laughs> i don't know what the fuck that was dude these tree wings i don't know man that, that was interesting i did i could have done without that but i guess it looked cool to see on screen but logically i, I don't know where that comes from but again it, it's superhero movies not everything's gonna be logical it's just one of those things that wasn't really explained i'm just like really guys like that was necessary i don't know <laughs> um another part too that I would say uh, was interesting was the good dog, bad dog. Like you said, you didn't really go too much in detail on this dog, but at the very beginning of the film, uh, the dog was showing up because the dog has telekinetic powers and can do stuff with its mind and has a lot more control over it than Craglin, who is uh, that guy's successor that you were talking about. But uh, so in the beginning, the dog showed him up and she, uh, he called her a bad dog. And she, like, she didn't let that go the whole way. The dog didn't let that go the whole way because the dog could speak 
regular English. So from there, she's like, no, take it back. Take it back. I'm not a bad dog. And like when they started playing poker, she's like, he he thinks I'm a, he doesn't think I'm a bad dog. Tell him I'm not a bad dog. And then all the way through to the that full circle moment when that last the, the last bot that he caught basically caught Craglin unaware and he was about to get fucked up by that last bot. And uh, the dog comes to the rescue, and he's like, "She's a good dog." And then they like crashes. <laughs> like the the, the um, dog uses telekinetic powers, and those boulders smash the last robot thing. And then she's like, "See, I knew you didn't think I was a bad dog. I thought that was kind of cool, kind of fun." Um, but yeah, then in, in terms of other stuff, like one thing I really do, and I don't know if I should save this for the debate or I want to talk about it now, but for our knowledge here this was supposed to be the last guardians of the galaxy movie right there's not going to be like a galaxy guardians of the galaxy volume four whatever so with that being said man i think it would have been a lot more impactful if one of the major guardians died i just i just really think it would have been i don't care if it would have been peter quill i don't care if it would have been rocket i don't care if it would have been drax like those are the three that really uh almost died in in this film so I do think that would have made it more impactful, and maybe I should have kind of say that for the debate, but that's something in terms of a takeaway from the movie. You know, if this is going to be your last Guardians movie, we should have had at least one significant death, in my opinion. And then just the last thing before I turn it over to you is uh, it really bothered me at the end that they didn't take care of business when it came to the high evolutionary. It, it just... It was it seemed lazy. It seemed very very yeah. lazy. They they beat the high evolutionaries laying there, and Rocket could end it. And they're like, hey, Rocket, like whatever you want to do, man. Like you're the one that went through all this. If you feel like you need to, you know, end this dude's yeah. life to you know feel free from it, like this is your thing. And you know he chooses not to, which is kind of frustrating because like now even this whole trope of yeah the good guy made the right decision almost reminded me of every time Goku ever fought a bad guy tried to do his best to give the bad guy a chance to live it's like dude every time you yeah. fucking do that they're gonna come back and in some way shape or form it's gonna be a bad guy again and so I, I get why they did it because they left him an opening to you know almost to your point of what you were saying last week when we were talking about the whole King the Conqueror thing that you know maybe maybe they end up switching gears and the high evolutionary is a new big bag I'm not saying that's the case I'm saying I guess they left themselves an opening but Man, it just seemed like a really—it seems like a really lazy writing thing to do is to, you know, okay, the good guy saved the bad guy by using his morals in the end and not, you know, becoming the bad guy themselves. So I don't know. I've just seen enough of that trope that I've had enough of it. I guess that's my own just personal opinion on it. But those are like my overall takeaways of the film. I'll, I'll turn it over to you to give yours. I agree with you, man. I, I think a hundred percent. I think since this is the last supposedly the last volume of guardians of the galaxy like in that actual series itself not the mcu overall i do think like especially like if drax and you know mantis and stuff isn't ever coming back like not that i want like characters to be killed off but i think that makes a bigger impact with the audience like, I mean, they probably should have just left Drax getting shot down at that point or something like that, or high evolutionary killing somebody, you know? I agree 100%. Um, I think I like the fact that Rocket didn't die. I think if they were going to do it that way, I think that's what they should have done is made it where it was like an audience switch where you think Rocket's going to die the whole time. Rocket still lives. But then someone like Peter Quill, like, they finally finish him off or something, you know? But not by space. Not by, like, you know, falling out into space. Like, what is this, like, 
the first Avengers movie where Iron Man <laughs> was falling in space. Like, come on, come up with something new, right? But 100% agree. I, um, my thoughts are, I thought the action was badass. I love how they did focus on Rocket's storyline. I thought that made it a lot more of a connection with the audience with full circle moments, how it connected to uh, their journey overall. I thought that was good, and I like the High Evolutionary as a villain. I thought he was a really cool villain. Like, sometimes there's some lame-ass fucking villains out there, and I thought he was, like, a cool villain. Um, I just don't know. I, I would probably... I mean, I would probably put it as, like, number 10 in my top 10 in MCU, maybe, if it makes it in there. I don't know what it is. I just feel like this new phase of MCU, besides... Spider-Man No Way Home. I mean, I mean, sorry, but Spider-Man No Way Home is like probably the best movie ever made. <laughs> just kidding. Anyways, but I don't know. I just feel like this MCU phase, what is this like phase four or something? Phase four, right? Or I guess we're in phase, going into phase five, whatever it is. I don't know. I just feel like something about it. Like we talk about this all the time. I don't know if it's quantity or something. I just feel like something about it has been like lackluster. I do feel in my opinion, I think this has probably been the best MCU movie in this phase four besides like Spider-Man, which we know why that was successful. <laughs> like It's not like the storyline was that great. Let's be real. And, you know, I'm a huge Spider-Man fan, but nostalgia. <laughs> That's exactly why that made numbers. But I think this is, in my opinion, the storyline it's probably been one of the best MCU movies in the phase four. How do, how do you feel? Do you feel like it was lackluster? Do you feel that it was probably one of the best in phase four? Does it crack your top 10? What do you think about this film? It's tough for me to answer on the spot because I have not put down a list of a top 10 Marvel films in a very long time. Honestly, probably since we did it for our very first episode of Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. <laughs> but right, yeah. To be honest, like I, I don't know if it cracks my top ten. I definitely think it was better than Volume Two by a landslide. Like, like Guardian of the Galaxy yeah. Volume Three was much better than Guardian of the Galaxy Volume Two to me. Uh, I don't know if lackluster is the word. I enjoyed the film. There was some, but like I said there's just some weird parts. with some things that are like what? I, you know, it just kind of made you scratch your head a little bit. I don't know if it was if lackluster is the word, um, but there were definitely times. I was left scratching my head and did, things didn't quite add up to me. I, I, so I don't know if this would crack the top 10, though. I'd be honest. I, if I've got to sit here and think about it, I don't think so. Just because I, I can name I can name my, a quick top five, top six off the top of my head already that I know for a fact I liked better than Guardians Volume 3. The rest I'd really have to think about and, and take a look at all the films and kind of piece it together. But, you know, if, if I already can come up with six off the top of my head from thinking about this for 12 seconds, I, I don't see how it would probably crack the, the, the top ten for me, unfortunately. Um, you know, but I, what I do like, there's one thing, I know that we complain a little bit about the humor they put in these movies, but that's what the Guardians were there for. That's why I'm okay with them doing it with the Guardians. So that's like when they did it with Guardians Volume One, it was the first time I've really seen it like that, and I was that was why Guardians Volume One is in my top ten for sure. Like Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, top, like, yeah. uh, the first one, that was, was amazing. It was something we haven't gotten accustomed to, and you know the the whole comedy aspect is is really 
uh, indigenous to the Guardians of the Galaxy, so that didn't really give me a problem. One thing I will say, when you said you really preferred Rocket not being, you know, because we, t- we both agree that maybe a, a significant death would have been really impactful for this film, I think Rocket would have been the perfect uh, would have been the perfect death, honestly. And, and here's my thought process behind it. The reason I think Rocket would have been the perfect death is because it would have kind of built on that whole thing where the good guys don't always get there in time. You know, yeah. sometimes they don't yeah. don't get there in time. It would have been a full circle of Rocket rejoining his you know friends in that afterlife little moment that you had brought up when Lila and and Tief and Flora all came in from the the death little area they they came in from the smoky clouds and stuff and him going off with them would have been a beautiful send off for Rocket and that could have been the catalyst of why the team had to break up because they were never going to be the same without Rocket you know what I mean so yeah, I I yeah, really think good. yeah mm-hmm. I I think that would have been a great opportunity for for a few of those reasons there so. In any event, it didn't go that way. Everyone ended up surviving and ended up with a very happy ending, which is really ridiculous because... I don't want to say it's ridiculous. That's what they chose to do. But for making such a dark movie and a dark buildup, to not have any sort of tragedy at the end is kind of... I don't know. I think that part, maybe, if anything, was a little bit of a letdown, just in my opinion. Like, like, fuck, they didn't even kill the bad guy. Like, shit. Yeah, I don't know, man. That was... Yeah, I couldn't believe that. That... That, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, 100% right. So what debates do you have? I'll let you kick it off on our debate section for today. Sure. So for this film specifically, what the fuck was the point of Adam Warlock and his mom in the film? <laughs> <laughs> to find a way to bail out Peter Quill? It's like they filmed the whole fucking movie. They were like, Rocket's gonna live, so we gotta almost kill somebody, and we gotta find a way to save him. Like, who the fuck thought of that? I had no idea, man. It was in- entirely dumb as shit. So that's that's my problem with it, right? I don't get I don't get what the necessity for them was, because what ended up happening is he came to their what was it? Uh, Nowhere is that the name of their their planet? Nowhere with the K. Yeah, yeah. Right. So they went to nowhere. This this golden fucking person <laughs> just out of the clear blue sky. There was no. They were just minding their business. Peter Quill was drinking himself half to death. Everyone was kind of just you know minding their own business, and this dude just flies in and just starts fucking shit up. We're just like, what? Why? <laughs> and then you know the whole <laughs> thing starts because. Rocket gets hit by you know a blaster and they can't heal him because the healing strap has doesn't have any effect. It's actually making it worse since he's got that kill switch in his you know, transplant in there, and that's kind of where things go. But they really don't play an integral part at all. You, th- there was no need for them. You could have pulled anyone in. So what I'm saying more than anything is that when it's for someone to make a significant impact in a film. They need to be the only one that can do something. But there's nothing that that we haven't seen from past characters that Adam Warlock or his mother brought to the table other than the fact that they were painted gold. That was the only thing. They were supposed to be these perfect beings, I guess was the, the thought process behind it. 
But dude, you couldn't even finish the job when you caught them unaware on their own planet when they, they were sleeping. One was sleeping, one was dangling upside down trying to test out new gravity boots. Uh, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> just, well, you can't be that perfect. And then you go back with your tail tucked between your legs and the high evolutionary is all pissed off at you because you failed. And then... Like I said, the rest of the film, the, the mom doesn't do anything. She just gets blown up and she dies. So, But I guess to that point, that ends up being the catalyst of Adam Warlock joining the Guardians. But what the fuck's the point? Why? What's he, what's he do for us that no one else has done? You know what I mean? Yeah, he was able to breathe in space because he's an alien and he could push Peter Quill to safety. Awesome. But that you, you brought this character in for a movie and it made him somewhat of an integral role for that 10 seconds and really not that important. Like, shit, you might as well just had fucking Mantis use one of her antlers or, like, fucking antennas and, <laughs> and fucking, like, swing it around like a lasso and grab them and pull them in. Like, I don't fucking know, dude. But I, I'm just saying, the whole point is I don't get the point of having Adam Warlock and his mother in this film at all. They did made zero impact in my estimation. So I want to know if you agree with me, if you disagree with me. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, I agree 100%. And we don't agree a lot of times, <laughs> but this is one where I'm right on board with you. I think the only reason they put him in there was because they had that little tease in volume two and they're like, well, we got to do something with it. <laughs> we got to do something. Well, you don't have to do something with it. And one thing I've learned throughout my life is less is more. Less is more. It's all about what you do with it. And I felt like they were just trying to put way too much shit to make it cohesive in here. And it really, like, wasn't cohesive at all. What the fuck was the point of Peter Quill getting stuck in space? Like, oh, he missed the jump, so he's, like, about to die in space because, you know, Rocket's going to live, so we got to have something surprising. But we didn't even kill the high evolutionary because we're thinking about probably using him in the future. Like, and I get, like, Guardians don't kill people. Like, I, I don't know. I felt like it was, like, I really loved the Rocket story. Like, I really loved that. I just felt like there was too much shit going on. Like, I felt like they shouldn't have even had to go to that Oracle thing with all those, like, body part things there. Like, I thought that was weird. Why not just make it, like, the high evolutionary shit? Like, take it slower. Even make the fucking movie shorter. Like, I think my opinion is quality is better than just putting a bunch of shit in there. And it makes the audience feel more connected. Just like Sylvester Stallone. Why the fuck was he even in this movie? Like, why the fuck did you... Like, save the money on the budget. You could have used them somewhere else. Like, I I don't fucking... He could have played, like, a major, like, role. (laughs) Like, somewhere else. I don't know, man. Like, there... I felt like there was... The overall story of this was very... I thought it had a great direction. But the execution, I thought it was very sloppy. That's my opinion. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I was going to say the word messy. So messy, sloppy, we're right on the same page. Like, it was a little bit messy. You know, I like, like you yeah. said, the whole under ar- underarching theme of the movie was, was great. The whole backstory of Rocket, getting to see where he came from, the pain struggles and in the desperation, the isolation, all of that really putting us in the in the feel of what it must have been like so helpless and and you know getting to that point but you're right to to get to the end of the film and and that to, to come full circle the way that it did 
there was no there was no path that made logical sense it was all over the place and like i said with these golden people they didn't really have a place in the film to be honest and sylvester stallone the only thing i can think that makes sense of why you'd bring him in is if you decide to do a ravengers spin-off you know and maybe at that point gamora finds herself and makes her way back and peter who knows i'm just saying if, if if you're gonna bring him in, you all better do that because if you just brought him in for that, for that, that was just, you, you just wasted a fucking shit ton of money for no damn reason. Like that's all I'm saying on that end. But you know, the, but yeah, I agree. Like it's, it's hard to debate that. I, I think that the execution was messy, but overall it was good. It was one of their better films. I will agree that it was probably during this phase, whatever phase you want to consider this. I don't know if this is end phase four, beginning phase five, whatever we want to call it. Uh, it was one of the better Marvel films in recent memory. It was one of the better ones, for sure. But, man, I don't know what's going on with them just throwing things in there, just throw it in there. I mean, it wasn't as bad as this. Like, I'm going to make a really bad comparison, so don't take this for you know face value. But it was very similar, uh, messy-wise, as The Eternals. The Eternals just had so much shit going on, and you're like, how did we get here? Where, where does this all, like, cohesive? This, how, where does this, you know, that's, that's the, on a, lo- on a much lower scale, that's the vibe I got is, man, like, I get what you guys are trying to do, but how you did it is a little confusing, a little convoluted, and not in a way where that's exciting, like, ooh, it was a twist, ooh, it was a psychological twist, like, oh, they really got me. Like, no, we're just sitting here, like, following it, like, the fuck are you doing <laughs> like what is going on you know so yeah i think that's the best way to put it the execution was sloppy or messy man like 100 uh, percent another thing let's let's bring up another another debate here you know where where do you think this goes uh, you think there's multiple spin-offs you think there's like three spin-offs that come we follow along with drax as you know the parent of these fucking children and then we you know see rocket with grew in that new thing and then peter quill goes off on his own tune on earth like where would, would we see three different spinoffs are we gonna get like what are you gonna have nothing to do with these guys for a while except little one-offs what do you think's gonna happen i think you kind of gotta have nothing to do with them for a while except for like rocket and his new team like i think what's probably gonna happen is at some point just like how we saw in the after credits so we know star lord's coming back because it literally says it on screen if you don't address that then what what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? So we know he's coming back, but I think what's going to happen is you're going to probably have, at some point, we don't know what's going on with King the Conqueror. We talked about that last week. Whoever this end villain is, I think what you're going to have is you're going to have Rocket and the new Guardians come in, and you're probably going to have, you know, Peter Parker, and then you're going to have at some point star lord's gonna have to be called back and then i don't i think later on down the road like after all that's over then maybe you have like a new guardians but like what the fuck is the point of sending them off to like their final road if like you don't leave some of them just there like i think we'll see gamora at some point like maybe she'll be with the new like ravengers or whatever who knows but like if maybe mantis shows up at some point i don't know but like if you're gonna do just like four different spinoffs we're talking about quantity and quality like that's where you just get back into it's a quantity problem 
Like, that's why you have to stop this spinoff shit and focus on, like, your core. Otherwise, like, what was the emotional value of wrapping that up, right? Like, what was the emotional value? I can see you continuing on with Rocket and the gang there at some point after this final, this next Avengers stuff. But, and I feel like that's going to be Peter Quill's last thing. Like, maybe you kill Peter Quill off then. Maybe you do. But, like, this other stuff, like, otherwise, what's the point? Like, you're just bringing back memories of what was Shades of the Past. Yeah, and I think that's a good point of, you know, if we're going to close up this chapter of Guardians of the Galaxy and these volumes of it, but we're still going to follow them separately. What the fuck was the point of just ending it? You know what I mean? Just if we're going to watch them fight bad guys separately, why don't we just keep the fucking team together? And, you know, I don't know. So my point being that I don't mind that they broke the team up, but I'm saying there's some serious things should have happened. Like I said, somebody should have died. Somebody should have died to where they couldn't be the same team that they were because X, Y, Drax died, Rocket died, Peter Quill died. You know, it's one of these main integral core pieces of the Guardians of the Galaxy died, and because of that, they could never be the same team again, and then that would make sense. That would be perfect, I would have no problem with it whatsoever. But you kept them all alive, and they just made the decision to break up, and now we're potentially going to follow them in different places. We're going to follow Peter Quill on Earth, we're going to follow the new, what I don't even want to call them the new Guardians, but you're Rocket and the team with their things in space. And then maybe we'll see Mantis, whatever. I know we're probably not going to see Drax again, because I remember David Bautista saying that, or Dave Bautista saying he was done with the role. So we're probably not going to see him again, fine. But like, then fucking kill him. And we're not going to see him again. What the fuck's the point? I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> know, man. like it's just, there's just so many things that they could have done, and I don't know. I just had, you know, maybe it's my fault for having expectations of stuff, and it is what it is, but it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. On, on a few different levels like we're going to get four different spin-offs just keep them together if they're all going to be alive or if they're not going to be you know, or just kill one you know you could have you had two options which would have made sense either way kill them and break them up and then okay cool i can see why they'll never be able to be the same team because they weren't that cohesive unit that they were when we all got to know them or if you're going to keep them all alive why break up the team what's the point like what is the logical point how about they all go to earth together and meet you know Peter Quill's grandfather, and then they all keep saving the galaxy, and they check in on the children from time to time. On that, you know what I mean? I don't know, dude. It's just yeah. you, you could have. You, there's just two ways you really could have gone, and you chose an option that makes no logical sense to me. Maybe the other people feel differently, but that that's my thoughts on it. I agree with you, man. I I don't know. I uh, I want to get your last thought on this before we close out. Like, what is like? Where do you think? this goes from here would be my first question second question is do you feel like the mcu like can't find an identity like maybe they're trying to find like i feel like in in marvel phase one and two right i feel like we had our heroes like you had tony stark captain america like we know those are our big our big leaders here like we had our heroes I feel like they tried to almost make like Captain Marvel a hero. It didn't pan out. Like you can't exactly make Peter Peter Parker the big lead right now because he's um, you know still developing. And Wanda, we know she went sorry bad shit. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> like I mean, you can't make it Wanda anymore. 
and Doctor Strange is kind of doing his thing. Like, I don't know. Do you feel like they can't find an identity right now? Yeah. That's a decent way to put it. It's. It seems that they're they're not... When Marvel started and became what it is today, you had your core. You know, you had the big four. Iron Man, Captain America, the Hulk, and... Who else would you consider on there? Like uh, Captain America, Iron Man, yeah, Thor, Thor, Thor and the Hulk, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. so th- those yeah. four, right? Those are your core core four, and then because of where the phases have gone, Tony Stark's dead. Uh, Captain America decided to go back in time and live out his life and as put down the shield and well, he passed the shield off to to Falcon. And then you've got Thor, who doesn't really want to be part of anything anymore, past Asgard, new Asgard off to, to that, that woman. And, you know, Bruce Banner just kind of makes random appearances now. So I think yeah. they're having a hard time figuring out, and maybe that's why they're just throwing a bunch of shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. I think they're having a hard time figuring out which characters will resonate the most with the audience, people who are watching it. So you had your core four, but three out of the four are done, and one just randomly appears here and there, and it's confusing. So now, you're, you're, to your point, it's probably a little too early to make Peter Parker the central focus. But he's got to be one of the core going forward. The movie was great. It probably, I, I think it, it almost is, was number one all time at the box office, wasn't it? Like, I don't know what it was, but it's high up there. It's got to be, like, number three at the very least underneath, the, what, the avatars? Like, you know, I don't yeah, even know. Uh... It got really close. I think it hit number, from what I saw overall, it hit like number five or six because I think Titanic finally beat it when they like re-released Titanic or something. But point being, it's it was one of the most successful Marvel movies that they've ever had, especially like one of the newest ones. Bali, continue. Yeah, so just looking at the all-time box office, as it stands right now, Spider-Man No Way Home is number seven all-time. The only ones above it are the first Avatar, Avengers Endgame, and the only reason Avatar is ahead of Avengers Endgame is because they re-released Avatar so to get that title back. Avengers Endgame is number two. The second Avatar, The Way of the Water, is number three. Number four is the Titanic. Number five is Star Wars: uh, The Force Awakens. Number six is Infinity War, and number seven is Spider-Man: No Way Home. So. Of all the movies that I've ever released in the box office, it's number seven all time. So you have to utilize what you have there with, with Peter Parker, especially when you brought everyone else back, like Andrew Garfield, Toby uh, McGuire. They, they, they've done a good job with that. But you're right into the point that he's so young that it's hard to consider this guy the leader of the Earth's Defenders or the Galaxy's Defenders, whatever you want to call it, the Universe Defenders. So then you bump into, well, who's it going to be? And they had a really good, really, really good opportunity with with Scarlet Witch, honestly, I thought. And then yeah. you made that really hard to sell now when she <laughs> lost her mind. Because, like, if she did that once, who's to say she won't go through that again? And, you know, uh, that, that was tough. It was a good film overall. I, I didn't dislike it. But the Multiverse of Madness really painted her in a really negative light. And then you go into Doctor Strange... 
We don't even know what's going on with him now. Is he even a good guy anymore? You know, at the end of Multiverse <laughs> of Madness, dude, like, opened up his, like, third eye. So, is he even going to stick around here? Is he just going to travel through the multiverse here and stuff? So, you got that. You know, now, you know, another one we don't even, we can kind of think of, but you don't, it doesn't normally come to your mind, but he's went to, he did a whole, you know, arc reversal. Maybe Loki's a new good guy, you know, instead of a bad guy. And, you know, maybe he's one of the, better defenders in one of the more central parts but either way my point being and the reason i'm bringing this stuff up is i'm trying to get bring to the forefront of people's minds the major characters that are still around now that it seems marvel's trying to decide well who's going to be the new core going forward now that we've gotten rid of the majority of the core four so i i think that they are in a little bit of an identity crisis to answer your question and i think they're trying to figure out how they're going to make certain ones stick and they're basically throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. And, I, you know, I think they did a great job with Spider-Man. They did an okay job here with Guardians Part 3. Maybe Star-Lord makes it, takes a more central role. I, who knows? But, man, they, they really had a great opportunity to put Scarlet Witch in as the new lead. She's got the age. She's got the power ability. You know, she's been through a lot. So you can see how you would be able to follow her and it, there'd be no lack of respect type of deal. You know, even from when they first found her in what was the age of Ultron? Was it when they, yeah. when maybe she was first introduced? Right. So she's been around forever, you know, and the stuff that she was going through when she was recently founded, cause it, it was uh, her and Quicksilver, right? That was the other one. Yeah. 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 And he died. That was like basically her brother and he died. So yeah, I think they really had an opportunity there to take a female lead which is great in the in the environment we are now in the world and make her the central focus and then they made multiverse of madness and it's like well <laughs> dang do we really trust this but who almost just destroyed earth and destroyed everything like you know do we really do we hand the reins over to her now like who knows and it's silly it, what is really silly too is that that was an okay standalone film I, I i enjoyed watching it overall but if I really sit back and think about the consequences that brings to the future of, of where Marvel needs to go, maybe they should have taken a different direction on that. I don't know, man. Those, those are my thoughts. I don't know uh, if I answered your question or not, but I'll let you go ahead and take it from there. With that, I just think my final thoughts on this film is I thought it was a great film for uh, being... I thought it was a, a solid Marvel film. Was it my overall favorite? Absolutely not. Was it better than some of the shit storms we've seen lately? Absolutely. But I was glad I got to see a film uh, really dive in deep into Rocket and bring those moments full circle. So got to give the writing credit there. They did pay attention to full circle moments. I like that. With that, I'll let you close us out, Jay Nelly. Yeah, brother, sounds like a plan. Well, if this is your first time listening to us, welcome. We're really excited to have you. If you've been listening to us from the very beginning, thank you for continuing to be the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. If you're looking to figure out where you can find us on social media, we're on all platforms. We're on Instagram at official ridiculous Patronus. We're on TikTok at ridiculous Patronus. We have a YouTube channel, ridiculous Patronus. We have uh, our Facebook fan page, Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy. We've got our own website as well, ridiculouspatronos.blogspot.com. Got the backup Instagram page at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. The backup TikTok 
at fact underscore or underscore fantasy on all platforms we're out there so we would really appreciate if you give us a like a follow subscribe whatever makes the most sense for you uh we're, we're really happy to have you here uh on in terms of the podcast where you can listen to it and in terms of where you can find it for your listening pleasure we are on all platforms there as well, wherever you get your podcasts. So if you're an Apple user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Google Play. You can find us on iHeartRadio. You can find us on Podbean. You can find us on any form of podcast hosting site that you listen to. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy are there. But we're out for the day because this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh, Factor Fantasy, signing, signing off. off.